Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast, part of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and I'm so glad you're here with me today because I get to turn the tables on one of my favorite people. Today, I have Todd Pyro with me, and you are probably familiar with this guy because he's at the anchor desk every morning on Fox News. He's on Fox and Friends first, and we actually met in the green room there where he ran past me, and I thought, is that Todd? But then I thought maybe Todd doesn't actually like me or want to say hello to me. But it's just that he has such a stressful morning job where he wakes up so early that he ran past and then he came back and said hello. And so now I get to interview him today, which is really turning the tables, isn't it, Todd? Totally false news. I ran past you because I greatly <laughs> dislike you. I actually was in charge of Gretchen Whitmer's campaign. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, and he's secretly funny. Secretly funny. And you know, look, I, it was one of those days. Everybody says, Todd, you're frenetic. You twitch a lot. You're always running around with so much energy. That is true, especially during the first half of the day. And so you caught me. I was running around like a lunatic. And I was like, oh, man, kind of felt like I, I should have said hi to Tudor. So I doubled back. And I'm glad I did because you know we've had you on the show a bunch more after that. And now I'm on your show. Um, the flip side of that is, and I don't want to like, again, we, we are turning the tables. This is your show. You're asking the questions. But the flip side of that is when I get home, I could not be a more useless human being. Like, I, I, and it's tough when you have two kids now under I was going to say, three. you're not allowed to do it, that. It is tough. So uh, look, I'm not saying that my life is a struggle compared to people have real struggles. Like I get it, but boy, by Friday, I am pretty tired and I'm not the, oh, full of energy Todd that I think you see uh, in the morning. So 
I my wife always jokes. But you do this with two yeah. little kids. I mean, I think that days, especially on the campaign trail, there were days where I was like, oh gosh, I you know, I'm I am getting up at five, taking the kids to school, and then my kids are much older than yours. You are getting up in the middle of the night. I mean, tell us a little bit sure. about how that goes, because I can't even imagine this it. This isn't a joke. Like, everybody's like, oh, Todd's jokey. I literally get up at 11.30 p.m. Not oh. a joke. Like, that's real. Um, and so I do live a little bit further away. I'm not a city guy, uh, especially not a New York City guy. My gut tells me if I was single, I probably would be, but I'm not single. So I try to get the heck out of here. And so I live pretty far away. But that said, I use that entire trip down to study and prep for the show. Show's on at four. Um, I'm prepping literally from the moment I, I get in transportation, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles to get down here. And then we do the show. Then we have meetings. And then we do other things. Today, I did Varney. Uh, now I'm doing yours. And on days when I stay late, I try to, you know, do the contacts thing here in the great, great you know, New York City, because, you know, that's what this business is all about, shaking hands and kissing babies. Uh, but on a day like today, I'm going to get home late. And you better believe I'm not going to get a nap today. The moment I get home, it's OK. Here are the kids. You got to do uh, kid stuff. And then it's, you know, the witching hour, four to seven. It's bath time. It's food, then bath time. I may have to go outside to play because it's somewhat nice. Uh, and then, um, <laughs> bath time. You may get to go outside get to and play. Bath time, you know, bath time is a process. Like, I don't remember bath time being as in, uh, engaged as as it is currently for, for me and my journey. Uh, but it's a two-hour process, I think, from start to finish. Oh, it's really my gosh. See, I'm, I'm so glad that I'm past this. But so it goes fast. Yeah. You think that that's going to last forever. And then one day that's gone. And there's a whole nother journey that you're on. And a lot of that for me is math. I hate <laughs> math. Math homework comes home and I'm like, get your dad. I don't know. This is not my strong suit. I can't do. Last night we were up building boats. And that's the funny thing about once your kids get a little older and you have a school project, you have right. a school project. I'm doing incredibly well at science, better than right. I did when I was in middle school. So I'm blaming my parents. I'm like, clearly you weren't good at science because obviously it's the parent that does the science project. I think you raise a, a key point there, Tudor. And it's the fact that this is going away at some point. And I can sit here and kind of make light of the schedule and how it's taxing. But at the end of the day, that bath time is special and it's cute and it's mm -hmm. adorable. And I'm going to be legitimately sad when it goes away. Uh, will I gain the same sense of enjoyment from the math like you mentioned? I, I don't know. But <laughs> I must say the entire process... All I want to do is go to sleep when I go home, but this entire process is well worth it because after bath time, you have reading time. And reading time is cute because you cuddle up, you go over words, you get asked questions that are the most hysterical questions in the world. And my favorite thing, and this is the highlight of my highlight of my day. After all that, we put our, our first one to bed and then I leave the room while my wife does the singing and all that other stuff. She then runs out and says, one more hug, daddy. And that's the greatest thing Aww. in the world. And she, your oldest is two, two and a half. Is that right? She's getting two, two, two big. and a half. You can't I miss know. that half. It's the best. I love it. I love every minute of it. So, so you're really in the, in the throes of a little. So I will tell you, I made a, well, my husband says that I made a parenting mistake because I snuggled them to sleep every mm -hmm. night, every night. And I have four kids. So I still, my twins are nine and I, they still want me to lay in bed with them while they fall asleep. 
And he's like, you've created this monstrous bedtime situation. So bedtime is long for me, but now my older ones just run off. And I'm like, see, I knew one day it would be over. And I just want to be as close to them as I can while they're little and love every minute of this. And it does. It just, and when it goes away, you're not expecting it. It's just overnight. It's gone. That's, this is so depressing, but it really is. But they grow up and they become different and cool and exciting and they run track. And that's fine. Your husband and my wife must have attended the same parenting class because I am verboten from doing the cuddling up in bed and going to sleep at the same time. Like I suggested <laughs> it, like, if things are going bad, like let me, let the older one cuddle with me. It'll be fine. And she says, no, I guess I'm a cuddler. Tudor Dixon's a cuddler. Who knew that? I'm going to introduce you from <laughs> right. now on instead of former Michigan gubernatorial Ken, I'm going to say, Noted cuddler, Tudor Dixon, joins us on the program. And you can do the same to me. Yeah, I think right. that's going to go bad for both of us, if that's what you say. Because people are going to ask, what? <laughs> There's going to be questions. a lot of questions there. But that's true. With with kids, absolutely, 100%. And I think that's important. I think it's important to know that you're safe. Yeah. And my parents were like that. And I just, I don't know, maybe maybe that maybe that's not a good sign if my parents were like that. Because look how oh, I turned out. But it. I love that when I come to New York, you're always talking to me about what's going on because I am just past those stages. So as you talk about this, it is very interesting. But you talked to me the last time you were talking about for the first time ever having to say to your two, two and a half year old, be careful when you pick up something from the ground. Don't put it in your mouth because of what we're seeing with fentanyl and pills and everything. We and we saw that story not too long ago about the vacation by owner and those people that went and stayed there and they they ended up having the people before them left drugs and the little 18-month-old died from picking something up. I mean, parenting is different today than it used to be. It's scary. You're 100% right on that. And look, when we were growing up, it was, you have to watch the needles in your Halloween candy, right? And you always showed your parents your Halloween candy. They vetted it, made sure it was okay. But what we're talking about now is, is not a needle. It's literally a poison that just breathing it could kill you. And so touching the pill, if you're a tiny little child and the pill is potent enough, could kill you. And so, yeah, I had to have that uncomfortable conversation. You have to review it over and over again. And basically it's repetition. Like, hey, if you see this on the ground, do you eat it? Do you touch it? Do you tell an adult? And we give these like multiple choice things, try to encourage her to be like, go tell an adult. And we go through the list of adults that she can tell to try to make it a, a little bit of a game because she's at the stage where I don't think she can understand the ramifications right. of it. Um, heck, a couple of years ago, if I would have told you there's a pill that if it's on the ground and you touch it, it could kill you, would, would you have understood the ramifications? That's why I think this fentanyl is right. such a it's such a sea change for all of us. And it's an uncomfortable conversation, but I'd rather have the conversation now than have the consequences that are horrific that I don't even want to think about. I know. I think that there's so many things to be afraid of. My girls saw a penny the other day on the ground. I'm like, yeah. don't pick it up because even like you said, just that touching. But you, so you noted that you live outside of the city. Obviously, all of us are watching New York City and saying, what is going on there? Many years ago, when I graduated from college, many years ago, I lived in New York City for a year and I took the subway every day, multiple times a day, never thought about it. I mean, I went all over the city every single day and never thought twice about whether or not I was safe. But that has completely changed. We're seeing crime on the subways, but now we're seeing all these migrants. You have the mayor, Eric Adams, saying he doesn't want these people coming there anymore. Like they need to go to other places. He's calling out Joe Biden. What does it feel like for you as you've watched the change over time? It's sad. 
because I grew up mm. 25 minutes away from here. And when I was growing up in the 80s, this place was bad. We did not come in the city. I wrote mm. a, a, an essay in fourth grade that said the two places I'm the most scared to go to are Beirut, Lebanon, and New York City, because obviously at around that time, it was wow. 1986, Beirut, Lebanon, in the news a lot. But the fact that I had made that connection, that this place was like a third world country and was as violent as a third world country, showed the fear that I had. And then the 90s happened. And I would come into the city. I would intern. I would hang out. I would do all the things. And it was an amazing and vibrant place. Even when I started at Fox in 2017, I remember going to a Yankee game the day that I signed my Fox contract and thinking, wow, this is my dream come true to work in the city that I grew up in. This is so amazing. And now, Tudor, the moment that I'm done, unless I have something I need to stick around for, I get out. I do not bring my mm. wife or my children into the city. And that's sad. Think about that. I'm so nervous that if something went down, I would have to protect them and I wouldn't have enough resources to do it just because, you know, I'm five, ten, three quarters. I'm not I'm not built like, uh, you know, Pete Hegseth over here. I, I like Tyrus. Right. And so why <laughs> why why bring that risk on? Like I, I take care of myself. I get in and I get out and I'm ready to deal with the ramifications of that. But um, I wouldn't want to bring that upon them. Will that change? I hope so. And as to the migrant aspect of it, look, am I worried that the, the mother with two children who's being, you know, sent up here from Texas is going to mug me? Absolutely not. You know, that's not the concern. The concern when it comes to the migrant aspect of it is the single males. And, you know, they are not acting all like Boy Scouts. And that is an issue. And one of the hotels, the Roosevelt Hotel, where a number of these migrants are going to be staying, I walk past that every day to go to the train station. And I will admit, last couple of days, uh, I don't even know if it's happened yet, but just mentally, I, mean, I kind of like bared up a little bit. I made sure my backpack was on a little extra tight just in case, hey, if something goes down, I got to be ready to go. And that's it. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When you think even the mom and the child that are coming, how... How are they taken care of and what is it like for them? Because you have, you're putting somebody in a situation where they don't have a job. You have so many people converging in one place that don't have a job. She's protecting her child, but does she have to get a job and leave the child? And then where does the child go? Are they in the hotel who stays with them? You know, there's so many factors here that I think people are being remiss in refusing to talk about the the human factor, the taking care of people factor, whether or not this is loving and caring, all the people that say, oh, this is loving and caring, they don't care once they're gone. They're not figuring out how to get these people so that they are actually legal, so they can actually hold a job, so they're not in hiding. Because once you come in and you're given a court date three years from now, and you're not actually a legal citizen, you don't have the rights that other people have. You are hiding. You are in a situation where people don't want to hire you. They're not jumping to hire people that they're going to get in trouble for hiring. I mean, it's some, it's a mess all the and way I'm around. I'm glad you mentioned the children because children in the shadows, which is what you just said, which is what is ultimately happening. That is a recipe for disaster that leads to child sex abuse, child sex exploitation, uh, child trafficking, just as a parent. No one would want that on any child. And when you think about that is ultimately happening. There's been documented evidence. We have kids, tens of thousands of children that have we don't we haven't kept track of them because we haven't kept track of their parents. Think about that. Think about what these kids could be living through right now. And as a parent, it makes you cry. And as a parent, you wonder how Mm -hmm. anybody could do that to a child. But there's also the reality of uh, the way the Biden administration has run the immigration system or open border system, I should say, is facilitating harm to those children. And to me, that's the worst aspect of all of this. You know, if I have to sort of, you know, buckle up when I go by the Roosevelt Hotel, okay, that's one thing. The fact that a five-year-old child is going to be exploited is is unconscionable that any U.S. policy would facilitate that. Right. And, and I think that's where we, well, I ran for office, obviously, so I can speak from the Republican or conservative side of running for office. I think that we're we're good at complaining about it, but we're not really showing the whole story and we're not we're not finding people where they are and explaining how truly dangerous this is, because everybody talks about we have this open border, but we actually have a border that is controlled by a criminal organization. The cartels completely control our border. We have no control over them. We have no control over what they're doing. And they are putting kids, they, they have these wristbands on people so they know what they owe them. And then they control them for, for many 
sometimes many years and, and sometimes for life, those people owe the cartels and they're in the United States constantly afraid. How is that a good way to live? How how do any liberal people hear that and not say, oh, actually, that's really a bad idea. We would never want somebody to be, whether it is a sex trade or even if it's just being in a permanent situation where you have to look over your shoulder all the time because you are beholden to a criminal organization, how can we get this across to people that this is not right? I don't blame the migrants themselves because to your point, I I don't think they know ultimately what they're getting themselves into when they decide to make this trip here. Uh, The left, they know exactly what they're doing and they continue to do it anyway, despite these horrific consequences that attach. And uh, you know, you mentioned Republicans. Republicans do a great job of complaining. Republicans do a horrible job at actually operationalizing solutions. And let's be honest. And I, I please, I, I mean no offense to you on this. I'm not. No, you. I'm totally with you on this because I want. I think I'm people need to hear this. About your election. I'm talking about in the aggregate, the Republican machine. They love to complain about elections. They don't realize. These are the rules. It's time to play by the rules and learn to master the rules. As a lawyer, because I'm a lawyer by trade, I didn't sit there and say, I hate these laws, so I'm, I'm just going to fold my hands and not fall. No, you figure out a way to work around the laws and operate within the construct of the laws. We're talking like early voting, absentee voting, all that other stuff. Stop complaining about it. Figure it out for 2024. And then maybe if you get into office and you win some of these elections, you can actually operationalize some actual solutions to help our country and, quite frankly, to help these migrants. Having gone through an election myself and seeing what we did, I have a pretty good idea of what we are not doing. And I can look at the Democrats and I can see that they're reaching people exactly where they are. They're going into their cell phones. They're getting message. The message they want to hear is going directly to that person. So you and I both know that there are people that watch the news every day. I mean, I truly do wake up with you every single day. And that's the first thing I do when I get out of the shower is I watch you. Brian Kilmeade tells me to get dressed. Every It's always, it's like Groundhog Day. Every morning is the same. But there are a lot of people who are not watching the news. There are a lot of people who are not tuning in. They actually want to tune out. And so when people say, how is the Republican messaging not getting through? I think you think that the majority of the country is listening to the news when I would say more often than not, they're tuned out because it's so negative. So that message is not getting to them unless you go directly to them, unless you're getting into their phones and they're getting messages from you or they're getting ads from you. You're mailing to their house. You're going out there and talking to them at their doors. And those are things Republicans are absolutely not doing. But the Democrats find you. They give you their message. They are meeting you where you are. They're not saying, we're having a rally. Come and see us. They're going directly to the people. Republicans are not getting this. I see just this last election, the Jacksonville mayor becomes a Democrat and everybody goes, oh my goodness, how could this happen? We've got to employ the people that were on the ground there working. And I'm like, they didn't get the job done. Still, we're a little bit off. We're not getting what it takes. We're not reaching the people. Why is this so hard for Republicans to understand? And I say this from a place of knowing because I lived it and I saw it and I was told this is going to be winning. And when I step out, I look back and I go, I see why I didn't win. I see why Republicans aren't winning. But Republicans keep saying it's unfair. We don't seem to be getting the message of what we need to do. That Jacksonville result, very concerning if you're the Republicans, because 
we've had a number of people come on and basically have the discussion that we're having, like, Republicans, we figured it out. Like, we know we need to go to the voters. We're going to do it. We're doing it. It's great. Did they not do it? Uh, no. So you see what happened in 2022. You had some time to figure that out. You look what happened on Tuesday. Uh, you didn't figure it out. And so what's going to happen in 2024? You have some time, admittedly. You have some gubernatorial races in 2023, but obviously all eyes are on 2024. You've promised that you're going to change your ways. Uh, the proof hasn't been in the pudding so far. You better figure it out. And I, I love the fact that you mentioned the news viewership because we're Fox. Everybody watches us. At least that's what we put out there. But when you look at the actual numbers, like even our highest primetime number is only one one hundredth of the entire nation. Right. Think about yes. that. Um, and I was just at a National Police Week with a bunch of police officers. And yeah, there were a few. I love you watching you every morning. But there were a whole heck of a lot of people that are definitely pro cop if you're at National Police Week and you are yourself a police officer. And they were like, I don't know you. Who are you? And I don't take offense to that. That just shows that they're they're not watching the content of us. And they even said, like, oh, I don't watch the news. Well, to your point, you got to hit those people because they're not being educated on a number of issues by you. And so that's an opportunity for the Democrats who are really good at elections. I had this moment. I went to D.C. with the, my daughter's eighth grade a couple that's weeks right. ago. That's so right. We the talked about eighth, that. Yes. Yes. So I had this moment where I came down in the morning in the hotel and the kids are all getting ready and the parents are about to have their meeting. And I am watching the TV because I'm waiting to see, you know, what the morning news is. I, I, I like made a conscious effort to look around and I thought not one of these parents even cares. That's they don't it's not their mindset. You know, they don't think about what's going on in the world the minute they wake up. And the, and I, that has to be somewhat freeing, you know, but when it's your career, when it's what you you do every day, it's almost like you wake up and you're like, I have to know what is happening in the world. And I remember during the day I got some breaking news. I can't remember what it was. And I and it was pretty shocking. I said, oh, you know, this is happening. And they were like, Oh, how, how do you even know that? And it struck me so many people live outside of this bubble of news and, and really feel great about not having to live it. And so they know nothing about you or me or people running, or they probably don't even know in many cases that congressmen in their in their mm -hmm. state, they may know their own, but they probably don't know the other ones. And so when you talk about what's happening in government and what Republicans are putting out there, these people are not hearing it. And I think you're making a really good point. Republicans still think they're doing it. They came out and they they talked to you and they said, now we're going to talk to the people. But I've talked to folks in Jacksonville and said, what happened? And again, I can tell you that the tools that the Democrats are using to meet people, the technology, the, the micro-targeting, the AI that they're using to get into the minds and hearts of people and manipulate them into going out and voting but also just the constant contact of going to their door and getting them out there. We are not doing that. And that is not something that happens from one person or from one organization. It doesn't come from just the RNC because it certainly doesn't come from the DNC. It is a massive amount of organizations that work together across the country. How did we get this far behind? From what I've been told, and again, you would know this way better than me, it seems like the consultant class is very good at taking mm -hmm. the money and not on the Republican side, I should say, taking the money and not putting forth the solutions that lead to victory. Is is that an accurate 
assessment? Well, absolutely. Because if you're a consultant and you lose, you still win. Because see, in the in the world of elections, the data is the value, right? So if you lose your election, but you've run the election in that area, then you can go to the next candidate and say, let me run your election because I own all of the information here. And the value of a race is the information, having that in your back pocket so you can email people, so you can call people, it's all right there. And so the consultant will actually make more money because they will say, you know, I can I can lend this to you. I can, yeah. I can uh, make money from this. And oh, I mean, we had a consultant in Michigan. I talked to a guy who is running a, a data organization. And he said, in 2016, I paid $60 million for the data in Michigan. $60 million. Does that blow your mind? You can understand why in 2015 and 2016, the establishment, the entire establishment, Republicans and Democrats did not like Trump because he kind of did all this on his own. You know, Grant, I'm sure yeah, he had yes. some data. I'm not saying he, you know completely on his own, but he was an outsider and he approached the election as an outsider. And look what happened when he kind of went a little bit more of the system. He lost, right? When he used the data, right. when he had that whole intense data operation. Now, look, I'm not saying I'm anti-data. I'm agreeing 100% with your point. The system doesn't necessarily care about winning and losing. The system cares about self-propagating itself. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, 
Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think we have to have that balance always of Republicans and Democrats, and it scares me that Republicans are not on that same playing field because if we end up as one party, we are just a mess. And and that's always been the, the great balancer in the United States. But man, weird things are happening. Strange things are going on. It's just a different world. And it, uh, to me, it is very scary if we don't get on top of that and, and figure it out. But it is, I guess, a part of the process and we're learning along the way. And it's good that we have people like you out there talking about this stuff. And But I want to get to something sure. because you mentioned that you're an attorney. So this is very interesting to me because I didn't know that about you until I started stalking sure. you so I could do this podcast and um, not any other reason. But I did find out, whoa, that's, this is weird because generally you think of people who are doing in an anchor position like you are as someone who has studied this their whole life, a journalist their whole life. But how did you know you did? You were an attorney, but it seems like you kind of always knew this was the place you wanted you to be. You nailed the key question. So when I was in college, I knew I wanted to do this. Uh, my problem was I went to college in a really small New Hampshire town. I didn't grow up in New York City, but I grew up pretty close. And I didn't know if I could go off to that small market in the middle of nowhere for another two years, two, three years after having been in New Hampshire for four years. And so I said, combine that with the fact that my dad's a lawyer, I'm kind of interested in the law, and the fact that I want to have backup plans and I want to make a little money before I trial this. All this went into the decision, hey, let me apply to law school. So I applied, got into UCLA, said, I'm going to go to LA because LA is where you do entertainment. Horrible connecting of ideas there. They have nothing to do with one another. <laughs> but I loved UCLA, loved the experience, loved being in L.A., loved the fact that I got to watch some college football. And uh, my favorite game, it's the hottest I've ever been in life, UCLA versus Michigan. So UCLA won. <laughs> I literally sweated out 18,000 bottles of water that day. Um, so practice after law school, I practiced for four and a half years out in L.A. But during the entire time that I was out there doing the law, I kept up with my connections in broadcasting. Because in college, I interned in New York City at WABC7, which is the NBC, ABC uh, O&O station here. I interned at Good Morning America. And I interned at a young upstart news channel called the Fox News Channel. And so, uh, yes, I was in this building back in 1998 and 1999. And when the time came wow. ready to make my resume tape, which was in around 2006, 2007, I would come back to the East Coast for your friend's weddings. That's the time in your life when everybody's getting married. And I would take right. a few extra days yeah. off of law, the law firm, and I would go out with reporters in these in New York City and make my resume tape. And there, I eventually got a resume tape together. And in 2008, I sent it out, got my first job in Palm Springs, California, and the rest is history. But to answer your question, yes, I've always wanted to do this. Uh, I am not broadcast trained. I think that's completely evident when you watch Fox and Friends first from 4 to 6 a.m. Eastern time. Um, but I think I bring something different to the table. <laughs> and, you know, that's what I love about Fox. I am me. You've met me. For better or for worse, this is how I am on air, off air, in life. The only time I'm not like this is when I reach that, like, I'm about to die. I'm not tired. And then I become no fun whatsoever. I am real. This is me for better or for worse. And I think that translates to TV. And I think that's what the Fox audience likes, whether that would translate in another yeah. place. I don't know. No, I think that is 
It's funny because somebody said to me once, TV is different, news is different than what it used to be. It used to be that you wanted to see your news anchor and they were very serious and you believed uh, that they understood the news and they were getting it across to you. And over years, it's shifted and now people want to see someone that they think that they could go out and have lunch with. And I think that does come across with you and uh, whoever you're co-hosting with that's not whoever a maternity pregnant leave at the woman, moment. I'm supposed to <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's true. Because I don't know what's happening with you, but you send to, tend to send people Are away. for this stat? From October 2021 <laughs> to the present, one of the top two women in my day in and day out life. I mean, I love my mother, but I don't see her every day. People I see every day are my wife and my co-anchor. One of those two individuals has been pregnant since October of 2021. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. I'm not. Well, I'm glad I don't spend that much time around you because I am definitely done with that. I don't want whatever that weird Four's mojo is. to. Four is enough. <laughs> yeah. God bless <laughs> you. enough. For sure. But, but no, I think it's a, I think you are so real with the women too. I think that's the coolest part. And probably, you know, you're going through that too. You have a little one and you have a toddler. And that's neat that you can share that with the people on that are on TV with you. I can't imagine what it's like to be mom and have to get up at the time that you get up. I mean, no well, offense. We're going to see. I, I really, uh, I, I don't want to talk out of school here with my private conversations with the lovely and talented Carly Shimkus, but I will say there's been a little bit of like, she's like, how the hell am I going to do this? Um, and, and there's some truth to it's that. It's hard. I think that's, uh, as a mom, I think that people don't realize that moms, a lot of women have to work now and it is really tough to step away. I can't imagine stepping away at that critical night time when you have feedings and all of that and they're waking up and it's hard. You're just, you are exhausted all the time. I give them credit for being able to do it. Even, even when you're pregnant, you're like that. So then after having the baby, I can't imagine, but you guys are champs. I love watching you every morning. I love the fact that you're real. And I think that's what, that's the, really the appeal to Fox in general. There are most of the, the hosts there are just themselves. And that's what I think people want. When I go there, everyone is so awesome. You go into the green rooms, everybody is just so normal. There's no, there's no personalities that are big and think they're better than anyone else. I mean, I haven't run into those people yet. Maybe you have. Well, except when they run past you and ignore you on their way to go do it. Right. Outside of Todd. But but to your thing about Carly, you know, look, I I, I think you raise a really interesting and important point. Uh, It's got to be really tougher and it's going to be really tough for her when she comes back because she is not going to be there for those nighttime feedings and stuff like that. So I think uh, you've just given me a great reminder that as a, a man, as a husband who's gone through similar stuff with his own wife, I'm going to have to be cognizant of that and kind of step my game up in that area too, because I think ultimately that's going to make for the better show because there is going to be a sense of like every now and again, a little mom guilt. It's, it's not me again, speaking out of school, mm-hmm. out of turn, like it's yeah. real. It exists. It is a thing. And, uh, you know, I need to step up my game to make sure that, um, paying attention to that and, reading certain cues here and there and kind of stepping up for the betterment of the show. And quite frankly, because she's my sister, you know, if I, I, we have a weird sister brother relationship. Uh, if we were under the same roof, that would be a really weird household for the parents uh, because we are two very odd people in reality. And uh, Carly seems normal. We're both very odd. Um, and uh, so, you know, 
I got to protect my sister. She protects her brother. And uh, I think it's going to be funny to see what happens when she comes back. I love that. And I think that really goes to what we're seeing right now in society. That's why I think you see so many women who are are really genuinely hurt inside when they see people raising up men and saying they can be mothers and they can be this because it's hard. It's different. Nobody can really understand the things that you go through, that your body goes through, that you go through, that you are, the, the emotions that you go through being torn away from your child like that for even just a few hours, it is really different than what I think anyone else can imagine. And I just appreciate the fact that you are willing to say that and point that out and understand that. And I think that that's, it's a time when it's a good place. It's a good time to celebrate what women actually do and how amazing they are. And Carly is, I mean, she is awesome and she's stunning. And here's a mom who can be stunning and sexy and still sensitive. And, and she's out there every day talking to us and we're excited to have her back. Is it next two weeks from now that she comes back? I, I actually don't know if I'm allowed to announce. I don't know if that's been public. Like I know the date and I can tell you off camera. Uh, but I don't know if I'm oh, to, like, I thought but that I, I thought I heard her talk about it when she came on to, to oh, really? celebrate the to celebrate the other pregnancy on your oh, show. Did, did she say it when Ashley announced? I think huh. that she did. I think. But huh. maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, we won't talk about it. We'll just sure. be excited when she does come back. And before you go, I will just tell you that when you were interning, I was also interning in New York. How weird is this? It was 99, 2000. I was Where? interning at the Rosie O'Donnell show. Whoa. <laughs> I oh, I have so many questions about stories I have heard. But again, <laughs> this is another show. Now. We will right. talk about that another time. And then I went to Oxygen. Oxygen was just starting up. Okay. It was in the Chelsea markets and I started a show there, but I was just like a, a, you know, an intern and, but it was, I mean, how funny we were there at the same time. So anyway, Thank you so much for coming on today. It was a great conversation. It is always. And I'm so glad that people got to actually get to know you because like you said, you are who you are on the show. But I think that it just makes people go, oh, I really do know him in the morning. And that's exciting for me. I for hope it for better or for worse. Again, <laughs> this is what you get, <laughs> yeah. Tudor. This is what you get. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate having you on. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Yes. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast for this episode and others. As always, go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there and make sure you join us the next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have an awesome day. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.